Hi, I'm Leslie Ludy, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. This week, we're continuing with our biblical mindset series, and we're going to unpack biblical revival, both on the corporate and personal level. This is one of my favorite topics, something I'm very passionate about, and so I'm really excited to at least scratch the surface of biblical revival in this episode. Before we jump in, I wanted to let you know that we are counting down the days until our 2023 Set Apart Conference, and if you can't join us in Colorado June 16th through 18th, there are still a few spots left if you'd like to, so just go to setapartgirl.com or click the link in this podcast description. But if you can't make it to Colorado this year, I'd love you to consider hosting a simulcast. It's a great way to really reach and impact the other women in your life. Sometimes it can be challenging to know how to prepare messages or articulate deeper truth to the women in your lives. So when you host a simulcast, the messages are already right there and you can facilitate really meaningful discussions and going deeper with the the ladies that come. Whether you host it in your living room or at a retreat center or fill an entire church full of ladies. We've had just the whole gamut of types of simulcasts that have been hosted. Once you sign up for a simulcast, you will have access to the sessions for the entire rest of the year. So you can just choose a time that works best for your group. So this is a really great tool for small groups or Bible studies, etc. If you're interested in becoming a simulcast host, we actually have an entire web page that you can go to that gives ideas for how to host a simulcast and how to make it meaningful and just all the details about it. So click the link in this podcast description or go to setapartgirl.com and click events and you eventually you'll find our, our webpage about hosting a simulcast. So let's talk about biblical revival. I've been to a lot of, quote, revival meetings since I grew up in a Christian home and went to a lot of Christian events. And it's easy to throw that word revival around. And I think it just means something different to different people. And what I think of from my childhood are revival meetings that were very emotional. And it was almost like the more emotion that was expressed in, in the service, the more genuine or spiritual it must be. And in actuality, if you study historical revival and biblical revival, one thing that you will see is that it doesn't always begin with emotion. In fact, emotion isn't really the litmus test for whether something is spiritually powerful or not. True revival begins with repentance, a desire to be in a right relationship with God. So if you study historical revival, if you study revival in scripture, it always starts with that burning desire to be in a right relationship with God, to remove whatever barriers are standing in the way. And sometimes emotion does come along with that, but it's not just emotion or a spiritual high or seeking after a dramatic spiritual experience that constitutes true revival. It's wanting to be in a right relationship with God. When you look at Acts, and as the early church was forming, in Acts 3, that was just after Pentecost, but there are some really interesting aspects that you see when Peter was preaching to the crowd during Pentecost, and he speaks very clearly and pointedly about their sin. He speaks to the crowd about their sin and about how they crucified Christ, and he says, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So Peter is declaring the truth to this crowd. And it says, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And that is such an incredible sign of revival because they're pierced to the heart. They recognize we need to be in a right relationship with God. We've done something to put a barrier between ourselves and God. And in this case, they began to recognize Jesus is Lord and we weren't treating him as Lord. And Peter's response to them was, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins. 
So again, it started with conviction of sin and repentance. He didn't say everyone, you know, begin to do this emotional display or have this experience. He said, every one of you repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. It wasn't just a short-term emotional high. When they repented of their sin, it says that those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now that's pretty dramatic. And it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. I love that it emphasizes that they continued steadfastly. Obviously, that is a very important sign of real repentance and real life changes that it's not just a summer camp high. It's not just an emotional high. It's not just something you experience at a church service. It's a complete 180. It's a complete life change. One of the examples in history as I've studied revival is the Hebrides revival. It's it's something I didn't really know about until recent years, but one thing that stands out to me so much is the repentance and the deep longing to be right with God that was really the fruit of the beginning of this revival. There's a story that's so amazing about this revival that I've told before a number of years ago on this podcast, but these two little old ladies had been praying for revival to come to their island for a really long time, and we'll talk about that more in a minute, but when revival actually did come and God began to answer that prayer, what happened was that there had been a lot of apathetic young people on this island, and they weren't interested in the things of God, and they just wanted to go to the pub and hang out with their friends and dance and drink, and they just had no hunger for spiritual things, but as God began to answer these women's prayers for revival, suddenly these young people just had a discontentment with the life that they had chosen. And there was this one scene where this evangelist named Duncan Campbell had gone to visit this church as the revival was just starting, and all of these church members were gathered to hear Duncan Campbell speak. And it was really late at night because it was right after he had arrived from his travels to come there, and they said, well, just come to the church and address the congregation. They've, they've all gathered to pray. Just address them for a short time, and then we'll let you you know, eat and go to bed because you've been traveling all day. So he said, I went into the church, I addressed the gathering, and I, I went to leave out the back doors of the chapel and I never even got out the doors because all of these young people, dozens and dozens of, of young people who had been at a local pub, they just came running for the church. They just, they wanted to come in and be in that church and they wanted to get on their face and get into a right relationship with God. So he spent the whole rest of the night praying with these young people. And that is so amazing because no one actually really was preaching to them or pleading with them to come. They just suddenly wanted to get away from their sin and they wanted to know God. And they all just came in droves to this church because that was the closest place they knew to go to get prayer and to talk to someone who could help them get into a right relationship with God. And those who described it said they fled from that pub as if they were fleeing from a plague. Like they just were so disgusted with that life of sin that they didn't want anything to do with it and they wanted to know God so powerful. Again, not an emotional high or humans trying to twist arms to get some sort of reaction, but the Spirit of God working in these hearts because of prayer, saying, turn, repent and turn from your sin and choose a right relationship with God. And we really need to see that very same revival happen in the church at large today, as well as in our own personal lives, where it starts with repentance and hunger for God, not just that desire for experience or emotion 
or tears, but that desire to say, Lord, I want to remove anything and everything that stands in the way where we begin to hate what God hates and love what God loves and delight to be in a right relationship with him. Now, revival is something that we could do an entire series on, but in this episode, I just want to highlight a few key truths that I have discovered in my own life and in studying this throughout history and in the word of God, just so that we can begin to pray as women for revival to come to our lives, our churches, our families, and our nation. And the first principle that you will notice if you study revival is that revival starts with the prayers of the saints. You see that in Acts 3 at Pentecost, it was ushered in by the prayers of the saints, the fervent prayers of the apostles. And as the early church grew, whenever there was really a beautiful adding to the church and that responsiveness to the truth, it always came on the heels of very fervent prayer from the saints. The early believers crying out to God for a spiritual awakening, and then you begin to see God answer those prayers in powerful ways. Now, as I mentioned, I had referenced the Hebrides revival. That was a revival in Scotland that happened in the early 1900s. It started with two little old ladies praying. And it really was just these two little ladies who were very much in poor health. They were in their 80s or 90s. They were sisters. They lived in this little cottage. They didn't have much. One of them, I think, was blind or nearly blind. The other was was crippled. And so they couldn't really go anywhere. They couldn't do very much, but they had such a burden for revival. And they began to pray night and day, cry out to God, wrestle in prayer. And they began to talk to the local minister about getting the congregations to pray. And so for months and months, they would pray even all through the night at times for revival to come. And that is really what set the stage for such a powerful sweeping of truth and the gospel to come over these islands where people who were so apathetic towards God just suddenly became spiritually fervent and hungry for truth. It started with diligent, fervent praying. And I love the fact that those two little old ladies, their names were Peggy and Christine Smith. I love the fact that they did not think of themselves as helpless. If they had a burden, they knew that burden was from God. They knew they were not helpless because they knew the power of prayer. And so if revival is something that you've been burdened for, whether it's in your personal life, your family, your church, your community, or this country, the country you live in, my encouragement to you is to learn the art of wrestling prayer, not just pray every now and then for revival, but to really wrestle and grab hold of the promises of God and wrestle until they become reality and pray consistently, pray without ceasing, pray with faith, pray diligently, learn that amazing art of importunate praying because that has been the precursor to every true revival that you will see biblically and historically. And if you look even at your own life, you will probably recognize that the times you've felt the most revived personally have been times when you have been committed to diligent prayer. Another really powerful story from history is R.A. Torrey, who was an evangelist and someone who really ushered in revival to multiple different cities. He went to London, and this was also in the early 1900s, and he booked the Royal Albert Hall, which was the biggest venue in London at the time. It held multiple thousands of people. I can't remember how many, but it was quite a large venue, and it was hard to book that hall, the Royal Albert Hall, for anything more than a night or two, and that was with the most famous opera singers or circus performers that were popular in that time. That was sort of like the height of pop culture back then, or theater productions. You could maybe book it for a few nights, but not for very long. He booked it for an entire month. And everyone kind of made fun of him and said, how are you planning to fill this auditorium of this size for an entire month, especially since you're not doing anything entertaining? And he said, 
we will pray. And so he and his team, his fellow believers, begin to pray, wrestle in prayer that God would bring a revival to the London area and that he would fill those seats night after night. And that is exactly what happened. God began to stir such a hunger and such a desire for repentance in the people of London in that time that they not only packed the Royal Albert Hall for a month, but they stood out in the rain many times trying to get in and couldn't even get in. And they would open it up for a second service a lot of nights. And they booked this thing, I think it was more than a month, maybe six weeks to two months of just people really wanting to be right with God. And there was nothing really emotional or dramatic or entertaining or huge about what they were doing. They were simply preaching truth. They were lifting high the name of Jesus and they were praying. And that led to a tremendous outpouring of God's spirit and people wanting to be made right with God. And the fruit of that was truly astounding. If you've ever studied the revivals that happened through the ministry of the Salvation Army, it's really powerful because William Booth was this really fiery preacher and very convicting man to listen to, but he would always have at least one or two people who were committed to praying for the entire meeting that he would be preaching. And there's a legend that there was always a man under the stage that no one could see, but was crying out for God to work in the souls. And whenever William Booth would feel like there was just deadness or there was apathy in the crowd and his words weren't getting through. He would kind of yell in this thunderous voice, pray. And the man under the stage or whoever was committed to praying for that revival would just fervently continue to cry out to God. And there would be a breakthrough where people's hearts would be broken. They would be convicted of sin and they would want to do whatever it took to be right with God. So revival starts with the prayers of the saints, both personally and corporately. My encouragement to you, if you are burdened for revival is don't don't discount the power of prayer because that's pretty much always how it begins. And don't just pray once or twice. Understand the fervent, importunate prayer that leads to lasting revival. Study revival praying in history. Study revival praying in the Word of God, and you'll catch a vision of what's possible through the prayers of the saints. Leonard Ravenhill has a couple of great books about this. One is called Revival Praying, and it's specifically about praying for revival, and another is called Why Revival Tarries. Both of those very good books to read, very convicting books to read, but a wonderful place to start if you are burdened to pray for revival. Another key principle about biblical revival is that it starts with an individual life. It's really easy to want to look for the big numbers and the big dramatic, oh, this you know entire group of 3,000 or 6,000. And oftentimes revival does spread to a large number of people, but it starts on that individual level where that one individual person says, I want to be right with God. And then that begins to spread to more people. And it's contagious. When God is working in revival, it becomes a contagious thing where someone's spiritual passion starts to rub off on somebody else and they begin to have that same desire. So it's really beautiful to see that when we respond to God as an individual, our decision can impact other people to choose to be right with God. For me, this happened in my own life a few years into my ministry with Eric when we were traveling and speaking full-time. And I've told this story in other episodes, but just as a quick review, we had been touring full-time. We were always on stage, always sharing messages with the church at large. And 
I was very disgusted and dissatisfied with the apathy, the mediocrity, the compromise that I saw in the church. And this one specific situation was the game changer for me because I had been backstage waiting to go out to speak. Eric and I both were at a large mega church. The worship team was back there with us, and they were all kind of hanging out together before the worship service started, and they were talking about anything and everything but anything to do with Jesus Christ. They were crude. They were all into pop culture things. It just seemed like such hypocrisy for those who were about to go out and lead thousands of people into worship. Then they had like a one-minute prayer and just very casually went out on stage. And then like a light switch, it's like now we're in our spiritual mode and they started raising their hands and worshiping God. And it just felt very hypocritical to me. But then I began to feel convicted that God was saying, don't just point at them. Look at the compromise in your own life because I had been in a place where I was speaking a lot of powerful things from the stage, but I had left Christ as my first love. He was no longer my true passion. I used my spare time to kind of veg in front of movies and binge watch shows and scroll around on the internet. And I wasn't really going after Christ. I was loving him with part of my heart rather than with my entire being. And I was in full-time ministry. And God gave me a very unmistakable message that night from Revelation 2, 5, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds that you did at first. He was asking me to come away from mediocrity and compromise and worldliness and exchange it for something more beautiful and fulfilling, which was unhindered fellowship with himself. And he was reminding me that I was called to live a consecrated, set-apart, Christ-centered life. God wanted to purify me from the inside out and ignite my spiritual fire once again. It was really amazing because I hadn't even seen that I had fallen into a state of mediocrity. I was still had a relationship with God. He just wasn't my focal point. And I was turning to a lot of other things for comfort and fulfillment besides him. And so when he began to really convict me that I had left my first love. My prayer was, Lord, send a revival and let it begin in my own soul. And Eric was walking through a similar process of personal revival. So over the next few months and into the next couple of years, it was really a profound transformation that took place within my soul and Eric's soul, we began to talk for hours about what God was doing within us, and we repented of things that we had allowed into our lives. We allowed the Spirit of God to shine His searchlight deep within our souls and purge away the dross of selfishness and sinful habits that we had allowed in. We became broken of our sin and hungry for His righteousness. The worldly pastimes that had seemed really important to us over the past few years didn't really hold the same attraction for us anymore. And we began to press into God with more fervency than we had ever had before, even when we first came to Christ. And that was really what we look back upon as a revival season. It was a turning point in our Christian lives. And we began to really understand the power and fullness of the gospel at a whole new level. It wasn't that what we had previously wasn't true, genuine Christianity, but it wasn't the fullness of everything God had for us. It was sort of like living in a house without plumbing or electricity that had never been hooked up. We had something real, but it wasn't functioning at its full potential until we began to really let God have his way. So we asked God to give us a spiritual fire that wouldn't fade and would protect against compromise creeping back into our lives. And we embraced at a new level that consecration to Jesus Christ 
that truly makes him our first love, not just in name only, but in a lifestyle. And it wasn't just a spiritual high. It was a lasting change. We began to experience victory and joy and peace and intimacy with Christ. And it has remained deepening and growing ever since, even through some very difficult trials that we've walked through. We've had struggles and failures along the way, and we definitely haven't just arrived in our Christian journey, but that was a turning point for us. There were truths we learned when we allowed him to work at that deep level within our souls that still influence our lives dramatically today. Now, as we go through our Christian lives, even when we walk through a revival season, there are always going to be new areas in our day-to-day life where we need to be convicted of sin and our understanding needs to be deepened about what it means to really be set apart for him. But when we allow him to do that powerful work of going deeper and purging out the dross and making us more like him and helping us come away from compromise and returning to our first love, we gain something during those seasons that really transforms our Christian lives in unshakable passion for him and a spiritual fire that does not fade into a a flicker. And we've talked in other episodes that that is a biblical principle that we are never to lack our zeal, but we are to keep our spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And one of the ways that revival happens, lasting revival, is that it's not just something we get excited about for a day or two. It's something that lasts because it's built upon a relationship with Jesus Christ and allowing him to go as deep as he needs to go within our hearts and remove anything and everything that is standing in the way. When we allow him to do that work within us, it's going to be a lasting change. So revival starts on an individual level. And so if you are burdened for revival, it's really easy to look around and see mediocrity and see apathy in other Christians and kind of cluck our tongues and get frustrated. But a lot of times where God wants to bring us is to say, Lord, send a revival, but let it begin with me in my own soul. And I challenge you, in addition to importunate, fervent praying, to say, Lord, shine your searchlight within me. And if you need to walk me through a personal season of revival, I'm available. And I've never regretted allowing God to walk me through a personal revival season. It's always led to even really powerful change in other people's lives because we can then share what God has done within us and that spiritual passion is contagious. In fact, that personal revival season that Eric and I walked through is what led to Ellerslie, which is our discipleship training ministry. And if we hadn't walked through that, most of what we teach at Ellerslie wouldn't actually, we wouldn't have had a grasp on it to be able to share it with others. A third principle is that revival heals relationships. And this is one of the most powerful aspects of revival. When I was reading about the Hebrides revival in Scotland, one of the most powerful things that you see happening is people making things right with those that they've wronged, those that they've hurt, especially healing within family relationships. So men who have been just irresponsible or abusive in their homes and their families toward their wives, repenting and just doing a complete 180 by the power and the grace of God, or young people who were just wayward and rebelling against their parents coming back and making things right and just living an upright, honorable, godly life from that point forward by the grace of God. I remember for Eric and I, one of the first just little mini revivals that we saw was when we were speaking in Australia. This was over 20 years ago, but we were asked to speak at a Christian school and this was a Christian school where everyone kind of felt like they had their act together. It didn't, they didn't feel like they needed revival. They didn't really even want to hear us come and speak, but they asked us to come and share. And the original idea was that we would share on purity and godly relationships. But when we got there, Eric really felt like we were supposed to share various stories from our lives about how God had convicted us of sin and led us into repentance and making things right with others. So when we shared that, 
and made ourselves just kind of open to say, here's how God has done this in our lives. It was so powerful to see these students go from just kind of bored and distracted to riveted to what we were saying. The Spirit of God was really working in their hearts. And after a long silence, when we were done speaking, we kind of left it open for anyone who wanted to make things right with others to come up to the front or to go find that person that they needed to be reconciled to. And the first one that came up was a high school boy. I think he was probably the most popular boy in the high school, an athlete and a you know class president or whatever. Everyone looked up to him and he came up just with brokenness and tears and spoke into the microphone and repented to his younger brother of not being a godly example to him and not being the kind of brother God had called him to be. And that just opened the floodgates where he was reconciled to his brother. There relationship began to be healed. And for hours, this went on where these high school students would come up to the microphone or go find teachers that they had been disrespectful to or write letters to their parents or make things right with each other, make things right with those that they had wronged in the school. And it was just, it was beautiful to see how one of the first fruits of that sort of little mini revival is what I would call it, God just moving really dramatically in this school. One of the first fruits was healing in relationships. And one of the things I would challenge all of us to do is say, Lord, Shine your searchlight within me and convict me of any relationships in my life that need to be restored and made right. If there are things that I've done to wrong other people or be insensitive to them, am I willing to go to them and ask their forgiveness? Am I willing to take those steps of obedience? And if we are willing to say, Lord, I want to be an instrument of healing and peace and relationships as part of a personal revival that God might be walking us through, it will be contagious. It will have incredible eternal fruit. One of the stories I think about in in history is the story that happened right after the Second World War when a young woman named Peggy Covell had learned that her two parents had been killed, martyred in Indonesia by the Japanese. Her parents had been serving over there as missionaries and the Japanese took it over during the war. And they were basically just executing all foreigners without really much of a trial or anything. They just sort of believed every foreigner was a spy and was a threat. And so they just were left and right executing foreigners, men, women, children, it didn't matter. And her parents and their fellow missionaries had all been beheaded. And imagine this young girl, she was probably 19 or 20 years old, just in college, and was so devastated at losing her parents at that key time in her life, and just really bitter and angry toward the Japanese for just their cruelty. And God began to work in her heart, and she said, Lord, by your grace, I want to be able to forgive and love those who killed my parents. And so out of a step of obedience to God, she found uh, an internment camp near where she lived. She lived in the Colorado, Utah area, and she found an internment camp where a lot of Japanese prisoners of war were being held until the war was over. And she went there just as an act of personal obedience to God and began serving the Japanese soldiers and just making their lives better in any way that she could. And one soldier asked her why she was doing it. She told him her story, how God had forgiven her, and she wanted to express her forgiveness to the Japanese people for killing her parents. And that's why she was serving in this camp. And he was so moved by that story that he went back to Japan after the war and he spoke about it to a war hero who was very well known all over the country of Japan because he was instrumental in the attack on Pearl Harbor. And he was just looked up to by all the Japanese people. And that man, through this example, this testimony of this young girl, became a Christian and became an instrument of the gospel for his people. And so thousands of Japanese 
Japanese people heard the gospel and gave their lives to Christ. And it was like a revival after the war. And this young girl, Peggy, just her simple personal step of obedience was a catalyst that God used for revival in other people's lives. So you never know what our little steps of personal obedience, when we let God have his way with us, how they can bring about revival in the lives of those around us or even people that we may never even meet this side of heaven. We can be frustrated with the church and the apathy and the mediocrity that we may see around us, but I have found in my own life, in my own soul, that the very best approach is to say, Lord, send a revival, awaken your church, but let it begin with me. Whether that's through prayer, whether that's through personal repentance or personal steps of obedience, I want to be a catalyst, an instrument, a tool that you can use to help those around me be in right relationship with you. Send a revival and let it begin with me. I pray that would be the prayer that all of us pray as we see where the church is headed. And it is truly about the power of God and what he wants to do, not just what we're able to do in our own strength. That's where revival comes from, the desire, the power of God to awaken his church. So let's pray for that, stand for that, and allow God to do that amazing miracle in our own lives. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into living a set-apart life for Christ, visit us at setapartgirl.com and check out all the resources that we have for you there on going deeper with Jesus. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.